Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to White Wine Question Time, the podcast that asks its guests three thought-provoking questions over three glasses of wine. Although this week we're parking the drinks because I'm in the company of a woman who I have profound respect for and it is just past breakfast. Uh, She is a mother to two young children who four months ago lost her husband, their father, to brain cancer. Many of you will have followed their story. They met when she was 19 in a Mayfair nightclub on a night out with their childhood best friend, Pixie Lot. He just moved from Bolton to London as part of a boy band who went on to become The Wanted. The band, as you know, went on to huge success both here and in the States before going their separate ways in 2014. Their romance, however, continued to blossom. And in 2018, they married and a year later welcomed their daughter, Aurelia. But in October 2020, their lives were turned upside down. The world was in lockdown. She was 35 weeks pregnant with her son, Bodhi, and Tom suffered a seizure, which led to a devastating diagnosis, a fast-growing grade four brain tumour. They were devastated, bewildered, scared, but defiantly positive and decided to share their story publicly, becoming loud and proud campaigners, raising awareness and funds for brain tumour research with documentaries for Channel 4, speaking in the Houses of Parliament and playing a massive charity gig for Stand Up To Cancer at London's Royal Albert Hall. In March this year, Tom sadly passed away, but she continues to tell his story, continues to raise awareness, continues to raise funds, all in a bid to help better fund research for treatment for brain cancer. Tom's autobiography, Hope, My Inspirational Life, is out now. In fact, as we record this episode, it's number one in the Sunday Times bestsellers list. It's an inspiring read, and she is an inspiring lady. I'm so glad she's here with me today. Let's welcome Kelsey Parker. How are you? Yeah, I'm, I'm actually okay. I'm actually, I'm a bit tired today. I've been busy, but yeah, I'm a, I am actually all good. 
You haven't stopped. And I think that's probably your way of coping, right, Kelsey? You have been running like Roadrunner at a thousand miles an hour. Oh, yeah, like literally, even I think since he was diagnosed, I think I just went on to autopilot and then that's it, really. We've just tried to get through it as best as possible. You are remarkable, like you and and Tom. Tom's book, you know, I just couldn't... You turn the page and you just go, wow. And even those moments where you both crumple, you're there to piece each other back together again. Your strength, your defiance, your positivity is unending where does it come from I think that's just me as a person and like even when he was diagnosed for me it was like I am do not want to I don't want to sit around and cry about this like let's get on and fight it like let's let's just take it on and that's what we did and obviously I think that was hard for Tom because he probably over me is way more emotional so he probably would have wanted to sit around and, and dwell on it a little bit but I was like but that's not getting us anywhere we need to research now we need to move forward and for me it was just taking each day as it comes and like just moving forward down that line for me and Tom and especially me I was shocked that when we first went in he got diagnosed it was like oh um so you've got glioblastoma you're stage four um you'll start radio in a few days time and then you'll have radio and chemo and then you'll have some chemo. And then it was like, yeah. And it's like, no, 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 that's it. That's all you'll have. And I'm like, what? Like, so there's nothing else you can give him. They're like, no, that's it. That's the standard of care. And that hasn't actually been changed in like coming on 30 years. So for me, I was shocked. So I was like, right, I've got to research. I've got to find, I've got, to, I've got, there's got to be something else out there. And literally when he was first diagnosed, we used to joke because it would be what country are we going to ring tonight? What doctor are we going to speak to? You were um, so focused on it, Kelsey. Did it help you? Was that a way of you coping, feeling like you were putting your paws up and fighting? Before Tom got ill, he used to say to me, because he loved politics, he loved researching, he loved, like, a conspiracy theory. He would say to me, you're just not into anything. Like, I just don't get it, Kelsey. Like, you're just not into anything. And I'm like, well, nothing really, like, bothers me, Tom, to be that, like how passionate you are and then obviously as soon as he was diagnosed that was it I would tell him information he'd be like I just don't understand how you how you know this and even now my friends would say to me how do you even know that I'm like I know I went to stage school and we, I didn't do that well in science but now I just know loads of different things like I've just I was literally like a sponge and just took everything in and the way that, that that's come back in Tom's book is so informative. It highlights the terrible disparities in funding, research, treatments. I mean, nothing's really changed, as you say, in over 25 years. And yet this, 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 this brain cancer kills is the biggest killer of under 40s in the UK. Is that right? Yep, that is correct. So it's just shocking. And I was genuinely really shocked. And also for me, it's when you actually like, Say, like ask the doctors questions they just want to stick to that page as well and that and what they can give you like even if you ask them about experimental treatments they don't really want to answer them because obviously they they don't want to give you false hope but it's like surely there's more hope out there trying other stuff than just this radio and chemo and I know from talking to well, she is now Dame Deborah James on this podcast that it was the experimental drug trials that she participated in that has given her valuable extra time with her family. Um, and that's the stuff that we need to talk about as well. And that's exactly what it gave you and Tom. It gave you time. And that's something that you that that's something that nothing, you know, where else are you gonna get that? You had to you had to put your faith in science and experiments and trials. I think mindset gets you so far. 
I don't think people realise how powerful your mind can actually be. And that's why we never talk, spoke about death and that, because that wasn't the ending. Obviously, that came as a massive shock to us, but we did not talk about death. Like, people said to me, oh, did you plan a funeral? And I was like, no, because he wasn't going to die. That we, didn't, we never spoke like that at home. It was like, right, what are we doing tomorrow? How are we getting through this? Who are we seeing next week? This is the treatment I've got, like, I've got planned like do you know what I mean we've we just had we just went for it when you're diagnosed with a terminal illness to say that death is a shock might sound ridiculous to some people but that was your way of fighting through this wasn't it you were not going to accept anything like that Dave Bolton eight years down the line he was told he had terminal cancer and actually now they still deem him as terminal he hasn't he has not got a tumor there but they still say that you have terminal cancer even if it's not there so for me i'm like you can get through this tom there is a way through it because dave's eight years down the line yeah and you know what there's always the people that buck the statistics the ones that are exceptional that give you hope beyond hope the miracles and dave bolton is one of them in fact i'm gonna i'm gonna crash straight into my first question which actually was never going to be my first question but seeing as we're talking about dave In the documentary that you made, you talk about the fact that it takes a village, right? It takes a village to get a family through a, a time like the one you've just you've just been through. And there are so many people that come out and show you profound kindness that cross your path at a time when you just think you were meant to be. And Dave Bolton was certainly one of those. I just wondered if you could um, acknowledge some of your key villagers, the people that have carried you and elevated you through this? Oh, well, like, my mum and my auntie were just, like, there. Our best friends, Kelsey and Dean, like, they would have the kids like this. Do you know what? I couldn't even name everyone because it literally was a village. There's so many people that came and helped and, and helped us. Like, my auntie just came on board straight away, and she... My mum and my auntie are, like, really different characters. So my mum's a bit more like me. She's like, right, get come on, let's get on with it. Where my auntie liked to actually fuss over Tom, so he would like my auntie to be around because he'd be like, oh, Julie will do this for me. She'll make me a smoothie. And she's a bit more, like, if we wanted him to eat, we wouldn't necessarily send my mum up there to go, you need to eat some food. We'd send Julie up because he'd feel bad and he'd be like, oh, Julie's telling me to eat, so I, 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 better, have, I, better, have some, I better have some food because Julie's asking me to do it. But, like, literally everyone, obviously Tom's parents, like, his mum would come down and help. Like, just everyone. People would take him to appointments. My, my best friend, Rosie, um, she came on board, and she's a PT. So she did Tom's, like, fitness, diet, everything. I mean, we had we had a joke. It was, like, the three wives. So there was me, obviously, the first wife, Kelsey, the second wife, and then Rosie was the third wife. So Kelsey is your best friend, right? We should clear that up, because otherwise this is going to get very Kelsey's confusing. Kelsey's my best friend. It's also called Kelsey. Again, she she was like a huge support. Um, but he never really argued with Kelsey. He used to argue with Rosie a lot because they would like clash because she'd be like, "No, you're not eating that." Because obviously, diet is so key to to your wellness. But this is the stuff that doctors don't really want to touch on. And they used to like like they would want Tom to eat certain foods, and I'm like, "But I don't understand why he would need to eat that food. Like he's better off eating clean." and staying as healthy as possible. It just, I just think it's, re I think it's really important to do your research. And I think research is key. When you get a, a stage four terminal diagnosis, I think you should just research everything that you could possibly do. My friends laugh and say, 
that there was literally no stone that I didn't overturn. Like I literally covered the board on everything. And even even in that final week of him passing, like I was still doing stuff to try and like keep him alive. Kelsey, I'm sorry it didn't work. I'm sorry it didn't work. It did work. Everything I did did work because he had a healthy death. He didn't he didn't die in pain. His organs didn't pack pack in. He had a really nice death. Everything I set out to do worked. It's a really important point you make there, Kelsey. It's about making sure that that Tom had everything he needed to have the best death possible. But you're right, you can't just rely on medication or prescriptions or NHS treatments. You have to make sure that you're eating well, that you had got him to a state and a place where he could be as healthy as he possibly could be, which enabled him to have the most comfortable passing that was possible, given the the extraordinary circumstances you were in. At what point did you make the decision that actually what you're preparing him for is the best death possible as opposed to trying to extend his life? Well, obviously, when he was first diagnosed, it was he was healthy anyway. Tom did not get COVID. He didn't get any sickness bugs that we all got. He was so healthy. Like, he, he, he was actually, like, even in the final days, he was still laid there, like, sort of glowing. Like, he, st- he had a lovely really? colour about him. Yeah, I just... I just think um, that's what we, we set out to do. To whatever happens, let's get him to be his optimum health. And he did. And even for him, he saw massive changes, just in, like, his gut health and stuff. Like, we, we sorted all of that out for him. Wow. So you've learned so much through this, I bet. Do you think sometimes that dealing with the facts helps you distract yourself from having to deal with the emotions? No, because I'm really an emotional... I, like, deal with the emotions too, and Tom was a very emotional person, so that didn't distract me either because we would talk about absolutely everything. Death wasn't one of them things that we spoke about, but it would be like, you know, if that does come, Tom, then we'll deal with that as well. Even when he first got ill, it was like, let's not worry about what's wrong with you. Let's let's just try and get through where you're going. What is it? Because I did think that he could have had depression in the beginning, obviously... I just had Aurelia. We fell pregnant really quickly with Bodie, and then he, um, then his his like mood started to change. So there was a change, and I knew something was wrong with him, but I didn't know what. But then he was like the boy that cried wolf. So, <laughs> and his daughter's exactly the same. She like like oh, there's there's this wrong with me, and you know? I've got a tummy ache. I've got this. So he always did. He always if he did have something wrong with him, it would be, it, he would always go to that place of. Do you think I've got cancer or something? Like, he was that person. So, obviously, I never, ever thought it was going to be a brain tumour. Literally blindsided us. But he, d- I think he did know that there was something really wrong with him. Because he pursued it. He kept taking himself to the hospital. Yeah, which, I mean, which sounds like standard behaviour for a hypochondriac, but that wasn't his standard behaviour, was it? To, to take it that far? No. To take it that far, I was like, oh, he's actually taking himself to the hospital, so he must think something's wrong with him. But at that time as well, I mean, you look at where your life was. You were 35 weeks pregnant with a tiny baby at home. The world was in lockdown on its head. I mean, so much to deal with, Kelsey. And then this happens. Well, they do say when it rains, it pours, doesn't it? So it just literally did, like, absolutely flood us, really. But we did, we got through it. Even the birth of Bodhi, like, we got through it. And he came, he kicked his own waters at 37... Yeah, I think like 37 weeks, no, 38 weeks, he kicked, he broke his own waters. And then we went into hospital and they were great because of COVID. They just kept us in one room, me and Tom, and then we had the baby. And then it was like, Tom went home because he had treatment the next day. And then I, I came home and we carried on as normal. Wow. 
So three weeks after his diagnosis, Bodhi makes his presence felt and breaks his own waters. Yeah, he kicked his own waters open, but I think he was just like, <laughs> I can't be... Because obviously where I was so stressed... I think he was like, get me out of here. I'm better I'm better on being born than being inside her right now. Because <laughs> I went from, like, obviously chill to then, like, neurotic. Um, we talked previously about Dave Bolton and wanted to kind of touch on the people that became your villagers. Dave Bolton came into your world how? And what did he mean to you and Tom? I just, I just knew I needed to find someone for Tom to talk to so he could relate to someone because... We would have really open conversations, but I couldn't relate to Tom because I've never been through radio and chemo and I don't know how you're meant to feel. So I was on Instagram and then I came across um, Dave and I messaged Dave and I was like, you need to speak to my husband. Like, you you honestly need to speak to Tom. And then they literally became like best friends and they'd speak to each other every single day. Tom, like, I'm feeling like this after uh, chemo. Did you feel like that? So, yeah, he was just amazing. We need Tom needed Dave. Oh, 100%. And when you read about the way in which they supported one other, you, you know, you can see the value that it, it held for Tom. Like he said, you know, doctors can tell you what to expect from treatment, but most doctors have not had radio and chemo, despite the fact that they're administering it. Dave had, Dave had had a really difficult time in his life before he'd even got to having the cancer diagnosis. And he defied all the odds, hadn't he, to, to survive it. How important was that? That, that 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 promise of hope to you both it, uh, whatever gave tom comfort that's what i was all about and obviously dave did give him massive comfort and i just think that dave gave him that belief that you, you can you can get through it ed sheeran was somebody else that um you've acknowledged recently who very quietly helped to fund a lot of tom's private experimental treatments that gave you longer together as a family. I mean, you can't even begin to measure the value of that, can you? No, you can't. And and Ed didn't need to do that. And Ed's never asked, like, he's never rung and been like, oh, no one said thank you to me or anything. Like, he is just such a kind, nice guy that just does genuine things. He's a genuine person. Um, Ed and Tom met in America on tour. Uh, I can't remember who was supporting who, but they became fast friends, didn't they? Yeah, and Ed, I just think, Ed's that person that he's friends with everyone that he meets. Like, he's just a kind soul. He's a nice, he's a really nice person. How, how did you reach out to Ed? Um, did he read about Tom's diagnosis? How did, how did it happen? Well, um, I just think it's like connections, the industry, like the paths that have been crossed. Um, Tom's, uh, Tom was looked after by Kev, who's uh, Ed's personal security so obviously when Kev found out they must have been talking and then it just went from there but that's what I mean all the old team like came on board when when Tom got ill like everyone came back and just massively helped we went in to see um the doctors like they uh Kev like came in with us and I loved that they were like throwing questions at um the doctors tonight because we all just wanted answers so the moment that news got out, you must have felt the love that Tom had accrued throughout his life. The fact that these people felt that he was so important to them that they all wanted to step up and step forward. The thing is, I've always known that, like, obviously I was married to him for a long time and with him a long time. Like, I know that about Tom, but I just think it was the realisation. It was like, no, everyone does genuinely love Tom, that they want to come on board and they want to help us. And I wouldn't have been able to do it with everyone else. I, I sort of orchestrated everything, but everyone did sort of what I asked them to do. 
You were kind of uh, the, the, the brown owl, if you like, the head of the brownies, issuing the orders. And you, but you had a, a bunch of people that really believed in everything that you were asking them to do, Kelsey, because your conviction and your determination is, is you know, you can taste it. You can, you know, every time you speak, I think I want her in my corner because, my goodness, I know that you will never give up until... Oh, and that's what I think Tom felt that. And I think he felt that probably like when we'd go into the doctors, I would challenge them. And it's funny because it was like our our roles just reversed completely because I've always been like quite chilled and whatever. And Tom took the back seat and it was me with the like the fiery one. And he, he would always go, oh, don't upset Kelsey. Don't upset Kelsey. You don't want to upset Kelsey. They'd be like, okay, we won't upset her. <laughs> I feel I feel almost feel awful asking you about Tom because I realise that this must be such a difficult time. But actually, you seem very happy to talk about Tom. Yeah, I just think you know, especially with the kids and that, we speak about him every day. Like I've got pictures, there's pictures of him everywhere. Even that example that my laptop's not working, it's like he would sort that out. It's I'm reminded of him every day. So why wouldn't I want to talk about him? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. How are the children? Yeah, they're really they are really good. I mean. Bodie doesn't really have, like, any clue. He does walk around and he'll see things of his dad and he'll be like, Daddy, Daddy. But um, Ray's more aware, Aurelia, she's more uh, aware of the situation. And I just think she's it's really confusing for her. And I completely get how confusing it is because it's where her dad is famous, it's just not, it's not normal life. So she, like, when I've done TVs and I wanted her to watch it to know that, you know, I'm just away doing a job, and then obviously the pictures have come up of Tom. She's like, is my dad coming back? Like, she asked my mum, but is daddy coming back then? Is mummy bringing daddy back? And it's like, no, he's not coming back. And then we have to relive the, he's dead, he's not coming back. Which obviously we got advice. I got I got advice for that. And that's, and that's what the advice was given to say, you've just got to be as honest as, as possible. And with her, I know that anyway, that honesty is the best policy because I think sometimes she does try and trip me up. But you know your child better than anyone, Kelsey. You you know exactly how to talk to her about this. And it's great to have all the advice in the world, but a mother's instinct, I think, is is like a gut instinct. It tells you, almost guides you into what to do, doesn't it? You posted on Instagram um, taking the kids to a bookshop and they saw their dad's book on the shelf and your daughter ran over and picked it up and hugged it and kissed it. She must miss it because obviously it's like the... They would get in bed together. They it would be bedtime. Like she obviously he is gone, and she must be so confused. Like, hang on, he was in here a minute ago, and now he, he's gone. And yet he's not gone because actually, I mean, physically he's gone, but his presence is everywhere, and people talk about him a lot. And you're right. And obviously she, it, can, it's be- she can hear me talking about him all the time to people. So that's what I think. It's the she's just a bit like, oh, where like where is he? And obviously walking around Blue Water, and you see your dad in. In a shop, it's just like, oh, it's my dad. I don't know. I just think, I think every day is so different. I'm not saying that, I, you know, I don't have my down days and I don't cry. Like, of course, course I do. Like, I'm human. But I think the kids give me so much strength to get on and get, get through it. But it's like you'd be, you're doing something random, like making a boiled egg. And I'll, I'll like, tear up. And I'll be like, why am I tearing? Oh, because he loved boiled eggs. Like, do you know what I mean? It's just really small things that you don't think you'd get upset about. And then you'd be like, oh. That's what this is. What I used, this was the breakfast he loved. That was his favourite breakfast. Like just little things that get you going. Oh gosh, I mean, loss shows itself in every way, in every day, in different ways. It it it, it can come up and 
bite you on the bum and tap you on the shoulder when you least expect it. And it is often those those little moments. But also you've had some pretty big ones as well. So I was, I was going to mine your experience of difficulties. And I hope that, that that doesn't sound awful. But I think so many people will find so many valuable lessons in what you have been through and what you are going through. So are you ready for me to move to my next question? A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Okay, so question number two. I wanted to talk about something you've touched on. You you know that you are in the midst of living through that very difficult first year, a year of very hard firsts. And some of those profound and significant moments have really started to show themselves. You attended your first wedding. Your best friends got married and you went without Tom. He, his chair was next to you and it remained empty for the day. You've just been a birthing partner for a friend, helping her to bring her son into the world who she named... Tommy in his honour. I mean, both beautiful, but really difficult moments for you. And yet you sign off all of your posts about those moments with the hashtag positive Parkers forever. So how are you finding the sunshine in amongst such incredible showers? The thing is, I just think they are beautiful moments, aren't they? Like I they can't are. take my sadness and grief from away from my friends. Obviously the wedding was hard. Tom was meant to be groomsman as well. So it was even more like oh, he would have been here, he would have been a part of the day, like I was bridesmaid, he would have been groomsman. Um, and obviously a wedding, with a wedding, it's you talk about the love and it's the vow you take for, for each other. And we did take that and it was in sickness and health and I did, I did do everything I could for him, but obviously it's bittersweet because he did die. And then it was funny with Rosie because when Rosie was pregnant, we always thought it was a girl, like always thought she was having a girl. She'd never found out what she was having. But when Tom died, we turned to each other and we was at the hospice and we said, it's going to be a boy now. We knew, like, we knew it was going to be a boy. And she said, well, if it's a boy, then I'm going for Tommy because that's what she actually called Tom, was Tommy. She never, ever called him Tommy. It's like, all right, sexy Tommy, whenever she comes in. Um, so, yeah, again, but that was the most 
amazing experience. And again, I used my knowledge from what I've taken through through Tom, the, the journey that he's just taken me on, for her birth. Like, I stood up to the doctors and said, no, she wants this or this and that's it. But it was like, she wanted me there for that reason, to be the birthing partner. And it was Tom that had taken me on this journey that I know what you can and can't say to doctors. Because you're sort of like, with a doctor, you almost take everything they say as gospel. Yeah, yeah, I would, I would challenge yeah. a little bit more, which I did in, in her, her birth. And she was really thankful because she had a, an amazing natural labour, which she really, really wanted. That's good. And this is Rosie who came into your life as a PT and helped you with Tom's diet. She was a massive Oh, but she came of, in years and years ago. But her and Tom have always had a love-hate because Rosie trains hard and Tom never ever wanted to put the effort that Rosie put in. So they've been training <laughs> together for years on and off. And then when he got diagnosed, it was like, no, Rosie, Rosie's stepping on board and you haven't got a say, Tom. That's it. That's your personal trainer and that's what you're doing. But they were like best <laughs> friends as well. They'd go out and go and get breakfast together and stuff. Like, she's brilliant. Because obviously, I needed that because I needed to continue to work. Yeah. This is the stuff that we all forget, right? Is that actually, you know, you have to carry on providing and feeding your children and you work. You, you know, you have a job. You have a business to run. And you're, you're doing all of this whilst looking after a, a husband who's going through treatment, a brand new baby, two of them actually, while the country's in lockdown, in, in the face of great economic uncertainty. And in fact, just uncertainty full stop, Kelsey. Hats off to him, though. He did the same. He just cracked on and got on with work. You know, we filmed we filmed the documentary. That was really tough. And he put he pushed himself through that. He pushed himself through the um, stand-up to cancer. Like, he did so much as well, which was hats off to him, because probably I did give him a hard time, but that was the only way to actually get him through it. My tough love. I don't think you gave him a hard time at all. I think you he gave wasn't him in everything house. he needed. <laughs> oh, yeah, there is that. There is that. There were a few times in the documentary he went, you're meant to be on my side. You're my wife. <laughs> it's like, no, Tom, no. Come on. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he, I, think, I think you're right. His work gave him something to keep striving for, a reason to get fit again, um, targets to hit. And you both seem very target-driven. Yeah, massively. The concert, how healing and helpful was that for you both? It, yeah, that was just massive. And that gave him a goal to get on that stage. It was like, right, I want to be on that stage and I want to be the best I can possibly be, which he was, to be fair. Um, and obviously, we just wanted to raise awareness again. It was like it, when we was even choosing a path for a documentary, it was like that was so natural for us to do that because we want, we wanted the gig at the end of it. We wanted to put on something and we love a show a party so that was really natural for us to take that path and um it was tough getting to it but but he did it and and we did raise and if they even came backstage to cancer and they said just thank you as a, a guy for talking out tom because men don't like to talk about these things and you are there talking about it absolutely that night was um so charged emotionally wasn't it yeah, and it was just, it was a magical night. It was just mm. so magical. His face on that stage, just drinking it all in, looking around. Oh, it's when he's like, he's shocked, he was shocked. And all he ever wanted was to be back with the boys and to be back on stage. And that's why I'm just so happy that he got to do everything that he set out to do. Yeah, because when, when it ended, he was quite frank about the fact that he didn't feel that he, he, he'd been um, an instigator in that decision. 
but he had to go along with it. Um, but it wasn't what he wanted. And then those years that follow are really hard as you scramble to re-identify who am I, what do I do? You know, you become so institutionalized in a band like that, so busy and then so suddenly not. How important do you think it was that the band came back together and gave him an ability to put a full stop on that experience? I think for his, even for him to get through the whole, the treatment, just the everything, I think the, the band getting back together was was massive for him. And it gave, like, Tom loved work. He loved loved music, um, taught himself how to produce. I think for him, he needed that band to get back together. And I think he needed the boys to be behind him again, to feel that strength from them. Because obviously... They were his brothers, they were his best friend, they got put into a band together, but they were so lucky that they did genuinely really get on. Don't get me wrong, they had their ups and downs like any band or any people that actually worked together because you're thrown in a car, cramped car, and you're driven around to the ends of the earth like anyone's going to get on your nerves, but they genuinely did all really get on. And that's why the boys have been amazing now, for me. How are they... Um with all of this and are they still in touch and are they helping i'm sure the answer to that is absolutely but yeah they're all in me. touch they all reach out i just think they don't really know sometimes what to say because what can they say and they're feeling the pain from a different place to me like when they get back on stage and sing again that's just going to be so painful for them because yes they did do the tour but they knew that he was backstage do you know what i mean they knew he was going to come out but it's going to be for them he's not going to come back out again like it's, it yeah. will be really really tough really tough I mean that's a year of first for them as well um bringing Tommy into the world obviously that must have brought echoes of your own birthing experiences uh to the fore but you also said when you shared that news that a matter of weeks before you'd helped your husband to pass over and now you're helping a little boy called Tommy come into the world I mean I mean, that's, it's, it's so much, Kelsey, to deal with, and you do it so eloquently and so pragmatically. How does, it, how does it sit in your heart? How does it manifest itself? The thing is, for me, like, this, this journey where it's taken me is the thing you're guaranteed in life is to be born and to die, and both can be magical. So, you know, for Tom, it, it, it sort of... I was so scared of him dying... But yet, I just found some sort of peace with myself when he did pass. That we that he, that it was happy even at the end. And then with T Tommy B born, it was like a new soul has joined this world. And what's he gonna be be like? I don't know. It's just I think if you just think of it like that, like two things: you're born and you die. I don't know. It just it's just sort of the journey that I'm on now. Don't it's been difficult but I'm I'm there and when you're watching Ollie and Ruth exchange their vows at their wedding and you remember your own how is that moment are you able how what well, I suppose what my question is how do you stop yourself from making it about you and allow it to be beautiful and about the people that you love at a time when you must feel so unable to give do you know what? Don't get me wrong. I was an absolute emotional wreck at the wedding. I mean, if they'd, hopefully no one's filmed me on camera for that because like I was just in floods of tears. I had Kelsey holding my hand, squeezing it. Um, my friend Electra on the other side holding me as well. Like it was really, really tough because it was that because the thing is with me and Tom, it was the love we had for each other. And this is what everyone in, who's ever met us will say. It's like the love was endless between us and it took me back to when 
we were there saying it to each other. Um, and he did, the thing is, we just absolutely adored each other. So the wedding was really, really tough, but I knew it would be. And the thing is, it is beautiful. Weddings are, you always cry at a wedding because it is all about the love. But it is, it is that loss of love that I've got now, like that no one will love me like Tom loved me. And the children that you've created together. And that's the stuff that you've got to figure out. I mean, God, if anybody's able, it's you, Kelsey. You are remarkable. Your strength just shines out of you. I don't know how. I don't know how you're still standing, but you are utterly awesome. I can see why he thought so, so much of you. You were the beginning and end of his world, and quite right too. How lucky to have you bring his children into the world. Um, as you look ahead to the, the, this difficult first year, what are the things that you're most apprehensive about, most fearful of? Christmas. I think Christmas was like... Tom's always spent Christmas with my family because where I've got younger brothers. So obviously when we first got together, like my brothers were like, three and five so I always said like I want Christmas at my house because my brothers are still young they're not now they're they're old and they wake up later than me and obviously it's about my my children now but I think that where he spent every Christmas with us and there was always a story with Tom and doing something at Christmas that I think that will be hard for me Christmas time I just think oh I just I, I, I think nearer to it I'll just be like oh I just can't face it yeah, and the, but I then you want it to be happy for the kids because this Christmas, obviously, we just had with Tom being here. Like it was so funny because we'd uh, done the footprints from Santa, and Aurelia was like that. She, he was here. He was here. So it was so lovely for him. But then I'll probably look at that and be like, Tom got to experience that with me. That was the first proper Christmas that she's had. I don't know. It's all just going to be tough. Is it? It's never ever going to be the same. Your perspective and the way you frame things, um, I think, uh, have, have been your lifeboat in so many ways through this. And it really brings me nicely into my third and final question for you. Okay, my final question. And I think there's so much that we can all learn from whatever answers you give to this. It's about perspective and how you choose to look at life. And from the moment Tom was diagnosed, you were forced to prepare yourselves for the worst of times possibly. Ultimately, loss, grief, death. How does that reframe your priorities and change the way you look and live life day by day? Honestly, even when he was first diagnosed, to us it was... I just looked at stories that it, it was like survival stories. So again, it was like, well, he's... He's going to be one of the survivors of this. Like I believe it. He's going to he's going to survive it. So again, like we just lived each day, like and that's all we did. We just each day, whatever we had to do, we just did it. There was no like even bucket list or anything like that. We didn't want to like obviously we made memories because you do living anyway. But it wasn't like oh we want to go and jump out of a plane together. We want to do this. It was like we did just live life together. You know, there must have been days when you thought, I, I can't allow myself to go into that negative headspace. You've got to stay positive. And I just think that there's something so many of us can learn from in terms of reframing and our perspectives on our day-to-day -day life, you know. And I think that there's something that you 
can share around that that is really powerful because you did it and you made the most of every minute of every day because you never took for granted that there would be another one yeah I think that I think that sums it up basically we did I just could and also I couldn't be negative there was just this positivity and I am he was we are positive people anyway so I think for if I had crumbled and been a mess on the floor, he would not, he would have lasted probably two weeks because he wouldn't, I don't think he would have been able to be that he, I needed to step up and be like, right, come on, let's do this. Let's get through it. I don't know. I, I don't know where you find your strength. I just find my strength from within. I don't know what it is. There's no secret that I'm like, it just isn't within. Like, that is me as a person. I've just, I've just, got on with it but Tom used to always question me about that even before he got ill he used to say like I don't understand why you're not upset about this I don't understand why you're not upset about that like I don't really hold grudges with people I do just let things go and I think where I can express myself too I think that really helps I can say this is how I'm feeling today if I was having a bad day I'd say to him Tom I'm feeling a bit stressed today so give me give me time and then I'll be all right and that's that's how you've always been, Kelsey. Or is this something you've learned through your experiences of the last few years? I have always been like that. Like I didn't have like I did have a lovely childhood, but I had you know rocky a rocky time in in my life. And I think it made I think from a young age it made me just get on with life. Like I remember my when my mum and dad split up, my mum went into school and was going to tell the teacher, but literally my report from the teacher was like, she's this, she's fantastic. And my mum was like, I don't feel like I need to say anything to the teacher that me and her dad have split up. Like it doesn't feel like necessary, necessary to say that. So you're amazing at coping with difficult changes and extreme changes in circumstance. Yeah, I just think I can, I can just somehow digest it and get on with it. Um, when you look at what lies ahead for you, do you look ahead? What is the plan? Is there a plan? There what is, does tomorrow look like? There is no there is no plan. I'm definitely now, this wasn't my future that I thought that I would have. I thought that me and Tom would be in our in our little house, growing old together with our children. Like that's not happened. So for me, I'm not gonna look into I'm not gonna look into the future. I'm gonna take each day and just see where my life takes me, really. And I just don't think, like, this has taught me that you never, you just never know what's around the corner, ever, ever. Like, this, that, that news just hit us, like, I remember just sitting there when he was diagnosed, Kelsey was with us, and she said, when I looked over, you could just see me, and I just had these, just beads of sweat, like, pouring out of me, because I just could not believe that this was happening to us, and you never, you never think you're going to hear them words, so I've learned from that, that you just never know what's never know what's going to happen do you no you don't and yet you continue to speak up because you believe that it's really important that we are demanding of change and better and more for uh for anybody dealing with this type of cancer because it's massively underfunded the research is negligible really comparatively to other cancer types and you want people to be aware of what to look for um so what can we do to make sure that that is the case how can we help I don't know, I think we've just got to shout it from the rooftops. Like you said, this is like, it gets 1% of funding and it's the biggest killer in under 40s. And a lot of people get this, die within weeks of having it. It's actually a little boy who goes to the school up the road and um, he got diagnosed with a brain tumour and he died within two weeks. 
Like, it's honestly heartbreaking. And obviously, I speak to so many people, so many parents, so many wives, so many husbands. Like, I I know what's going on within in this community of brain tubes. And there's just so much that we, we could do. Even just down to, um, you know, uh, Tom was on something called Avastin, which when, when you're on Avastin, you don't have to take steroids. So if we could just get more of Aston out there for people. That would make the experience of, of treatment that much better, wouldn't it? Because as soon as you start taking the steroids, that's it, you balloon. You, 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 all you want then is to eat, yeah. which then your diet plan's gone completely out the window that you've set for yourself. And your diet is really important because you need the right foods in you to make sure that your gut health is good, to give you the best chance of responding well. So everything feeds that cycle, doesn't it? So... For me, there is just so, so much more that we could, we could do. And we're going to do it. I don't doubt you. I mean, right now, if you told me you were going to go and find a cure for it, I'd say she probably will. Yeah. <laughs> I think some of the doctors probably think that too. Did she, did she train? Did she train to be a doctor? <laughs> but in the meantime, what we do need people to do is talk about it, be aware of the symptoms. But most importantly, you know, don't, don't go, oh, the doctors are really busy. If there's something wrong with you, go and get it checked out because... Tom just went in and said... There's something wrong with me. And they were like, no, you're fine. He's like, no, 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 you're not listening to me. There is something wrong with me. So I need I need you to check me out over. Like, that's it. Yeah. And if you get if you get more than, like, one headache, like, go and get yourself checked because you're better off getting checked than being three months down the line and then you get a really bad prognosis in front of you. And as well as that, we need to raise funds because funds are poured into research and research gives options extended life, a better experience in treatment. I mean, it's so important. Without it, we'll move no further forward than we have for the last 25 years. And you've got a GoFundMe page, which people can find at the top of your Instagram bio, and you can go and make some donations there. Or if you want to really help yourselves and others, go and buy Tom's book. It's called Hope. It's a number one Sunday Times bestseller and all of the proceeds that you're raising uh, from that will go ha to help fund further research. Is that right? Yeah. You are remarkable, Kelsey Parker. I wish you nothing but better times ahead to you, for you and your children. Um, and if anybody is ever lucky enough to find you in their corner, I hope they appreciate just how fortunate they are. Thank you for your time oh, today. Oh, thank you so much. A huge thank you to my inspiring guest this week, Kelsey Parker. If you want to hear more chat with inspiring figures, simply head into our back catalogue where you'll find episodes with the likes of Sheila Fogarty, Nikki Chapman, Charlene White, David Lammy, Jess Phillips, Delta Goodrum, and our Stand Up to Cancer specials with Sean Ryder and, of course, Lauren Mann and Dame Deborah James from You, Me and The Big C. My thanks to you, as always, for loaning us your ears over the last hour and to Ben Robbins and the Yahoo Studios team who produced the show with me. Editing is by Andy Agson and our music comes courtesy of Andy Bell. I'll be back next Friday with more great guests. Until then, thank you so much for listening in. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health 
Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.